A bipartisan congressional delegation is set to visit Taiwan this week. According to Nikkei Asia, the group will be led by Ami Berra, the top Democrat in the House Indo-Pacific Subcommittee. After arriving on Wednesday, the lawmakers will meet President Tsai Ing-wen and President-elect Lai Qingde. They also intend to meet senior members of the opposition KMT and TPP. Shortly after his January 13th victory, DPP president-elect Lai Qingde met a senior U.S. delegation. Now, more U.S. officials are expected to visit. According to Nikkei Asia, the top Democrat in the House Indo-Pacific Subcommittee, Ami Berra, will lead a delegation to Taiwan. He will be joined by lawmakers including Congressional Taiwan Caucus co-chair Andy Barr and Representative Mario Diaz-Balart. The delegation will arrive in Taiwan on January 24th and meet President Tsai Ing-wen and President-elect Lai on January 25th. A lawmaker set to visit separately is Mike Gallagher, who chairs the House Select Committee on the CCP. Gallagher is known for his tough stance on China. Over the past four years, Taiwan has received more than 3,000 foreign guests. Lai Qingde's election shows that we are choosing peace in the Taiwan Strait. I think that the discussions will center on maintaining the status quo and peace in the Taiwan Strait. What's important is that we have bipartisan support from the U.S. They support Taiwan, and they support our democracy. Speaking to the Nikkei Asia, Barra said the delegation planned to meet with senior members of the KMT and the TPP, citing the need to have meetings with all parties. The report also quotes Bonnie Glazer from the U.S. German Marshall Fund, who said it was extremely important for members of Congress to engage with Taiwan's opposition. She said support from both of them was essential for continued increases in defense spending, passing special budgets for purchasing weapons, and other matters related to security. The U.S. knows very clearly that it has to have more communication and build understanding with the KMT and the TPP to prevent China from winning over and using the two parties. If China is successful, stagnation could occur in Taiwan-U.S. relations, particularly as bills are hindered in the legislative yuan. Ahead of the U.S. delegation, lawmakers from Lithuania flew in last Sunday. Led by MP Matas Maldekis, the 11-member group is in Taiwan to show support for the country. A new legislative session is set to start on February 1st. The KMT reportedly plans to invite Lai Qingde, Taiwan's newly elected president, to the legislative yuan. Opposition lawmakers want to request a state-of-the-nation report from Lai. They also want a chance to ask him questions to subject Lai to public scrutiny. During his presidential campaign, Lai had promised to report to the legislature if invited. In the January 13th election, the DPP won the presidency but lost its majority in the legislative yuan. Reports say the KMT caucus has decided to ask the new president to give a state-of-the-nation address before lawmakers. If the legislative yuan asks me to go, I will go. Before the election, Lai Qingde has said he'd be willing to give a state-of-the-nation address, but the KMT also proposes that Lai take questions on the spot to face a public examination. Since Taiwan's first direct presidential election in 1996, no president has delivered a state-of-the-nation address at the legislature. Should Lai give a report, he'd be the first president to do so in Taiwan's constitutional history. 
Before the election, all three candidates agreed to report to the legislative yuan. So far, there has been no caucus discussions on the format of such a report. During his time in office, Chen Shui-bian was willing to report to the legislature, but it never happened. If the president were to come, what kind of protocol should be followed? After all, the president represents the country, so any uncivil behavior would make international news. The DPP and KMT have yet to agree on the details of the presidential summons. The constitution states that parliament may hear a report on the state of the nation by the president, but it does not explicitly require a president to deliver such a report. It also does not stipulate a question-and-answer session like that for other officials. Given the gray area, much negotiation remains ahead. TSMC may have found a new home for its one-nanometer chips. According to a Chinese-language media outlet, it plans to build on a new science park in Jiayi County. The rumored project was welcomed by Jiayi's commissioner, who said he would personally ensure that TSMC has full support. Last October, the chipmaker ditched its original plan to build in Taoyuan due to opposition from residents. TSMC plans to build its one nanometer plant in Taibao City, Jiayi, according to the Economic Daily News. The report said TSMC applied for 100 hectares of science parkland, 40 of which would be used for advanced packaging and testing. The remaining 60 hectares would be for the one nanometer facility. TSMC's total investment amount will reportedly exceed 1 trillion NT. We would wholeheartedly welcome it. If TSMC does in fact choose Jiayi, I will personally serve as the lead coordinator, organizing a dedicated service unit within the Jiayi County government to provide full support. Jiayi has many favorable qualities. You won't encounter land requisition issues because all of that land belongs to Tai Sugar. Zhengwen Reservoir, Taiwan's largest dam, is located right in Jiayi's Dapu Township. And Commissioner Wong Zhangliang has announced plans to build a desalination plant of the Jiayi coast. TSMC's rumored project was warmly received by the Jiayi County government. TSMC houses its 7 nanometer technology in Taichung, while Tainan hosts its 5 and 3 nanometer processes. In Xinzhou and Kaohsiung, it plans to roll out 2 nanometer chips as early as 2025. In Jiayi County, its potential 1 nanometer fab would meet demand from AI servers, accelerators, smartphones, and PCs. TSMC expects to mass-produce two nanometer chips by 2025. It's already started to plan a one nanometer facility, and that's very reasonable, because mass production for that may not start till 2028. Its rival, Intel, has announced 1.8 nanometer production by 2025, so the competition is coming on hot and heavy. For TSMC, the most urgent priority is probably cutting costs while maintaining a high yield. With the U.S.-China tech war ongoing, TSMC is facing strong geopolitical pressures but remains committed to keeping its advanced processes in Taiwan. Local community leaders in Taoyuan have created some of Taiwan's most unique street-side electric facilities. The electricity boxes in question have been painted to look like vending machines and retro street-side amenities. They're so lifelike that some passers-by might be confused about why the vending machines doesn't vend. But the project is making a virtue out of necessity. It was inspired by the need to prevent the opportunistic pasting of unsightly adverts on the boxes. You're walking on the street and come across a vending machine. You'd like to buy a refreshing drink, 
But hang on, there's no way to get a coin in the slot. If you look at the bottom of the machine, you're surprised to see a mobile network company's name. Then it dawns on you. This supposed vending machine is actually an electricity facility. I think it's great and very creative. When you walk down the street, you think, this place is so colorful. It feels like it's brought in more life. A vending machine, coffee machine, and even a popcorn machine. These colorful electric transformation boxes are stationed on a street corner in Taoyuan's Zhongli district. They're so convincing, many locals tried to buy an item at first, but the function of the boxes is not just to brighten up the street. The box here was often covered in adverts. The borrower chief said, why don't we paint it in bright colors? So on the one hand, it's preventing people from pasting adverts onto the box, and on the other hand, it can add to the community. Looking at it, you're not going to say the boxes had a negative impact on the appearance of the community. The creator artistic move is a way to prevent unwanted ads while creating a virtue out of necessity. Local residents may have fallen for the joke, but they're definitely having the last laugh. The Lunar New Year is almost here, and household cooks are starting to create their holiday menus. The fisheries agency invited famous chefs to show how to make Atlantic pomfret, eel, abalone, and other ocean delicacies into New Year's dishes. As demand rises, the Fishers Association says that prices will be about 10% higher than last year. After bringing the water to a boil, rice noodles are added, followed by crispy fried shallots and lard to bring out the flavour. Lastly, add the Atlantic pomfret cooked to golden perfection, its tail peeking out of the pot. As the ocean aroma intensifies, you can move on to the eel with rice pudding. Simply cut up pieces of grilled and roasted eel and lay them on top of the rice. Steam for a few minutes and it's ready to serve. We can buy commercially available rice pudding, put it on a plate with sliced eel on top, steam it for about six minutes and top it off with some cilantro and sesame and it's done. With households preparing for their holiday feasts, the fisheries agency invited famous chefs to create recipes. It then worked with local fishers associations to make them into frozen meals for families to make easily at home. This holiday package includes Atlantic pomfret, grouper, shrimp and squid bowls from Penghu. It has everything you need for a family reunion, as well as temple and ancestral offerings. Demand is so high over the Lunar New Year. Prices will rise slightly by about 10% from last year. It's because of the low base price last year. It was cheaper. So this year, prices are returning to standard levels. Seasonal local fish are transformed into holiday dishes that not only symbolise abundance in the new year, but are also nourishing to the entire family. Pilots at Eva Air have obtained the right to strike during the Lunar New Year holiday. They were granted the legal right by the Taoyuan Union of Pilots, which voted 99% in their favour. The pilots are seeking a 20% raise and an increase to the travel allowance for international flights from 3.30 US dollars to 6 US dollars per hour. They say they're being forced to take action after months of failed negotiations. From the 
From the very start, we didn't see any move toward reciprocity from EVA Air. There was no substantive counter-proposal to ours. It was all very disheartening. As for our plan and the methods of the strike, we will discuss such specifics on January 25th during a board meeting. 75% of our union members are pilots who fly Boeing 777 or 787. Those two models are assigned to key cities in the US, Canada and Europe. EVA Air Management says it had already responded to the demands with small adjustments to wages and travel allowances but it says it's still open to negotiating with the pilots and has formed a task force for that purpose. If the strike goes ahead, it will be the fourth in Taiwan's aviation history. The impact would be the greatest on flights to the Americas and Europe. Several insurance firms have announced that travel insurance purchased after today, January 22nd, will not cover claims associated with the strike. This year, the central bank is selling 90,000 commemorative coin sets for the Year of the Dragon. Half of them were sold online and the counter sales for the remaining sets started Monday. In Taipei, hundreds of people braved the cold to get their hands on the coins. Over in Taidong, a man had started queuing on Sunday for a total wait time of 17 hours. A long line wraps around the block. Despite the cold, people came out to buy a commemorative Year of the Dragon coin set on Monday. This year, just 45,000 sets are available at bank counters. At this sales point, sales started at 9am. The first customer arrived at 4am. He waited 5 hours for his purchase and left with a smile. My grandson's zodiac animal is a dragon, and so is my daughter's. I missed out on these coins 12 years ago. It's the year of the dragon again, but I couldn't manage to place an order online, so I got up early in the morning to make sure I could buy them. Customers were given numbers as they walked into the building. With the year of the dragon ahead, demand has been especially high. Earlier this month, the online sales system crashed upon launch. To handle in-person sales, the bank opened four counters instead of the one or two in previous years. Some of our colleagues had been preparing for this for three days. By 8 a.m., there were already 100 people in line. Demand was also high in Taidong, with a long line of 100 meters forming at a sales point. The first customer had arrived on Sunday and waited 17 hours to buy. I came here at 3 p.m. yesterday, more or less. I just wanted to give a present to my child. Many customers were buying coins as gifts for children and grandchildren. At Bank of Taiwan branches nationwide, the festival spirit was in the air as locals looked ahead to spending time with their loved ones. Spring Festival is coming up, which means it's almost time to visit the bank for new banknotes. This year, from February 1st to February 7th, all seven government-owned banks and post offices will offer crisp, clean notes at the counter. For those who are in a hurry, ATMs at these locations will also dispense new bills. For the Year of the Dragon, the central bank has prepared about 700 million new notes. They're meant for stuffing in red envelopes as a lucky gift. But this year, the central bank is also encouraging people to think green. It's promoting digital red envelopes and the concept of using old banknotes saying that old cash or money transfers are just as auspicious. Originally from Vietnam, Tran Hong Mai has created her very own herb garden with the help of her community and the Xinzhu County New Immigrant Service Center. There, you can find all kinds of herbs common in Southeast Asian cooking, but rare in Taiwan. 
the garden not only sates a longing for home, but also serves as a gathering place for the community, Taiwanese, and immigrant alike. A garden stretches as far as the eye can see, packed with over 40 kinds of Southeast Asian herbs. Every stalk was planted with care by immigrant women. Jiang Hung Mai runs this garden, putting her all into its maintenance. When those of us from Vietnam and elsewhere in Southeast Asia get together, we want to cook food from home for everyone to enjoy, but it's sometimes hard to find the ingredients. So I said, don't worry, I'll help you find some land to grow herbs from home. With help from the Neili community in Xinju Xinpu Township, they got a plot of land to use free of charge. In addition to running the garden, Zhang plays another important role in this community of immigrants. She also prepares Southeast Asian food to share with her elderly neighbors. Meticulously selected pork is seasoned simply with black pepper, garlic, and salt. Then mix with shredded lolot to enhance the flavor before wrapping in a fleshly picked lolot leaf. My biggest takeaway is no matter whether Southeast Asian, Taiwanese or Hakka, we all come together as one family. I'm happiest every time I come here. The first time I saw something so novel, wrapped up in natural leaves like this, I was blown away by the flavour. This is just the best, everyone coming together as a family. Apart from lolot wrapped pork dipped in homemade sauce, Zhang also makes the vegetable and egg dishes and soup she ate often in Vietnam. When the community eats together, the table is crowded with Hakka, Taiwanese and Vietnamese dishes. Through food, the distance between them vanishes as they become one family. Have you ever thought about where your shoes go if you send them to the cobblers? Today, we meet master shoemaker and repairer Xie Xingxian. Xie has been making and repairing shoes for more than four decades. He's a partner of many famous brands trusted to mend beloved shoes when they're worn. Despite working long hours of sometimes 12 hours a day, he loves his job. He says he has always been fascinated by shoemaking. And with the business support of his wife Chen Fenru, he hopes to keep going until he's in his 70s. He showed us how the magic happens at the workshop in Taoyuan. Trim away the extra leather, paste super glue between lining and zipper, and place to one side to dry, then onto the other side. When both sides are stuck fast, the shoes are closed up with a sewing machine and the work is done. When you take these shoes, they look quite complicated. When I've completed a pair, I have a real sense of achievement and it's very fun. When it's busy, I get up at 5am or so and then I get here to start work around 6am and sometimes I finish work around 6 or 7pm. Shoe repair expert Xie Xinxian came to Taipei to learn the art of shoemaking at the age of 15. That was more than 40 years ago. He focuses on getting the details right, and that's earned him the custom of many famous shoe brands, who hire him as their post-sales repair partner. 
He repairs 500 pairs of shoes a month on average. For men's labels, he's done George Shoes. For women, he did Nine West and Steve Madden and so on. And it just expands outwards more and more. The sales assistants see the work and they recommend us to each other. I go into Taipei every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to collect shoes for repair, starting at Taipei Main Station and going all the way round to the East District. Lots of people will moan about every job they get, but I've always been quite interested in shoemaking. I never wanted to give up. I told my wife, maybe I'll keep going to 70 before I retire. Shoes from department stores like Shinkung Mitsugoshi Nanshi, all the way to Sogo Fuxing and Uni President, all end up getting repaired here at the workshop in Pingzhen Township, Taoyuan. Xie and his wife are proud that their sturdy work creates a solid footing for customers in all walks of life.